0: This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of scripture. A lot of North Americans especially will say, you know, there's only biblical hermeneutics. There's no such mm. thing as African hermeneutics or Asian hermeneutics or Latin American hermeneutics. I think that would be you know, the biggest stumbling block, the thing that I always have to try and explain, you know, why I believe there is such a thing as African hermeneutics.
1: What do you think is the motivation that people just want there to be just one biblical hermeneutics and not various perspectives on her- biblical hermeneutics? And hermeneutics just means an interpretation here, if we could use it loosely.
0: Yeah. I- I'm not really sure, but I think it's the it's the tradition, um, the the way we are taught in seminary, whether you're in a European seminary or a North American seminary. Um, I mean, I know I went to a seminary here in Nairobi, but it was an American-run seminary, mm. and I think the methods of hermeneutics that that have come up, you know, you know, right from you know, I guess the beginning. Well, not the beginning of hermeneutics, because that, you know, that began a long time ago. But with people like Schleiermacher, who began to define Mm -hmm. hermeneutics more critically, um, I think that, you know, all that thinking came from the West. And so I think that I think there's a confusion between biblical hermeneutics and Western hermeneutics as well. And so when mm. when these people talk about the fact that there is only biblical hermeneutics, I think they mean Western hermeneutics from Schleiermacher onwards, because if they're talking about biblical hermeneutics, then we have to think about allegory and you know you know, the, the, the first century, and even before um, the, the techniques that were used to interpret the Bible are very different. Uh, their scriptures are very mm. different from from what we have today. So I, I personally think it's just a lack of um, exposure. Um, because what is taught and what is in the books is what is developed within western contexts and so then people get into to thinking that if you use something different then you're somehow going to corrupt um, the message of scripture because you're not using the biblical uh, hermeneutic or what they call the biblical hermeneutic so i don't know i i think that's i think that's it i'm not i'm not really sure
1: that sounds right I, I'd be interested to hear um what jumps off the page to you, so to speak when you hear people say biblical hermeneutics and then they begin explaining and you said Schleiermacher, which for you and I is a very famous uh, scholar, German scholar yeah. who changed uh, the way a lot of people thought about biblical interpretation but um when you when you hear you know Americans and seminaries speaking about bi- their version of biblical hermeneutics, what strikes you as really, Parochial to the American view of biblical hermeneutics, where you might say, "Like, oh well, that's not how we think about it."
0: Yeah, I think, um, I think it would be the fact that I wonder why they they don't seem to understand that the the idea of of contextual situatedness influencing how you understand mm. something, whether you're watching a movie or reading a book or you know reading the Bible. Where you are within your context, that how you grew up, you know, the influences that you had, that definitely influences what you see, you know, what you focus on, what, you know, strikes you in a particular text or a particular video clip or whatever it is that you'd be looking at. And so I just for me, I just think it, it's unfortunate that I think the idea of. um People being neutral as they come into a text, I, I think that has also is it, playing such a big influence on people without them realizing, because you, you cannot be neutral. You you come in with with yourself. You come in with your worldview, with your experiences, with your baggage. You know, with all that you are as a community and as individuals. And so, I I, I just think that for me, there's this, a failure to understand that. Where you are situated in time and space does affect how you view things and how you understand things.
1: I do think there is some progress on that front. Uh, it's slow, but hopefully steady yes. Yes. Uh, in the Western Hemisphere, as we call it. Um, so, What are some examples for you that are obvious as someone who I I believe you're born and raised in Kenya? Yeah. Um, What are some uh, matters for you that make, that where you you have become aware, oh, this has helped me to understand something in scripture that other people might not see if they hadn't had my particular background?
0: Wow, (laughs) okay, let me think. Um, I guess there could be several things. Um, But since I I love to approach scripture from the position of of worldview, maybe let me um, Mm. talk a little bit about that. So, for instance, if you look at the story of, um, uh, well, the woman caught in adultery, for instance, in John, um, I think that when I read that, I think about the idea of, honor, shame, because that's a very big part of our culture, you know, mm. the, the worldview of honor and shame. And so when I, when I read that story, I, I, I'm thinking that, you know, I've lived in the West as well, and adultery is, you know, in many circles, not particularly an issue. But when I think about it through the lens of the, the Kenyan culture or the African culture, it, it's, it's such a shameful thing and not a shameful thing for both the man and the woman, but really for the woman because you know Africans have been polygamers for <laughs> forever. So um, mm. the man is not usually considered to be in the wrong. So for me, I would think that mm. as as I read a story like that, um, automatically I'm seeing the honor shame aspect of it, and the fact that that the woman has 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 caused <clears throat> has brought such dishonor on herself, on her family, her extended family, on her community. And so I, I I look at her and I just feel for her because I know that I think this is something that is also within the biblical culture, that, that whole honor-shame aspect. So I think reading it through my Kenyan eyes or Kenyan lens helps me appreciate uh, that a little bit better than somebody living in the West. And not that you know, it's not shameful anywhere else in the West. I'm sure that there right. are places where it is. But I don't know whether it's so much shame as it would be guilt I and mean, in I'm not I'm not entirely sure what mm. what the Western lens would, you know, would filter. But but so for me that yeah. that that those aspects of, of my culture, um, those I call them parallels in my book. Those parallels are the ones that, you know, kind of influence me in in, in really what I see and and what jumps off the page for me.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you highlight, and as a biblical scholar, because I know there's going to be some people who are going to say, well, John 753, this story actually isn't in the gospel. I I
0: should have used the Samaritan woman, same principle.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I think we take the point, wherever that story originally appeared, um, it's highlighting this particular point. And, And interestingly, Chinese biblical scholars I've talked to have said, you know, when I, when I talk to Americans, they're all really upset about the shame issue. And like, you know, they, nobody ever wants to feel shame ever. And, and, And they're like, I think you guys are misunderstanding the concept of shame in scripture. And almost like the, uh, we want to bring we want to bring some concept of shame back so that you can understand what's going on in Scripture. They seem to pick up on this instantly as yes, well.
0: Yes, majority, um,
1: maybe even for different reasons. Yeah.
0: yeah, maybe too. But most majority world, I think, readers yeah w- would would resonate with what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so I I have actually taught pastors in Western Kenya who are farmer pastors, um, who are agrarian subsistence, and okay. and I actually I. I have only taught them classes embarrassingly on hermeneutics, um, and I remember the first time I went over—I literally, I did exactly what you said. I went over and taught exactly what I had been taught in seminary
0: the grammatical, and at the end of the week. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and just like general <laughs> narrative literary yeah. criticism and yeah. uh, all stuff that I just loved so much yes. when I was studying it in seminary. And at the end of the week, you know, they politely, someone stood up on behalf of the group and said, you know, thank you so much for coming over, spending your time, leaving your family. Um, but uh, we were all talking and we're all, we're all in our own villages dealing with witch doctors who put curses <laughs> on people and their curses, their curses seem to work. And we're trying to figure out what scripture might have to say about that. And it, like at that moment, like my entire world collapsed um, and I had realized that I had failed Uh, to listen and they and they would often even when we were talking about interpreting parables yeah they were looking for me to lead them through this and at some point i thought well wait you're all farmers i i've never farmed a day in my life Uh Uh, you understand Uh these parables way better than i do so i wonder what are you know you say african i guess i have african hermeneutics i have two questions big ones for you okay one is is there an african hermeneutic like the whole continent or would you say like what you're representing the book is sub-saharan african or is there a legitimate way in which you can say all of africa or would you parse that out and then uh b you know we can start talking about well what is unique to the african perspective Um, whatever whatever you think the answer to the african question is what do you think is unique to the african uh perspective of interpretation
0: yeah, that's a great question. Okay, well, no, there is no such thing as one African hermeneutic, just as there's no such thing as one Western hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are different methods, right? Um, and so my my method is, is, is a particular one that really draws on, you know, uh, the East African culture and worldview, um, mainly because... Um, Africa is not monolithic i know i know people will you know will think about africans as just this block as if, if this is one country you mm-hmm. know like like the united states but this is a continent with, with so many different countries so many different cultures um west africans are very different from east africans and of course you know north Africa mm-hmm. is more you know middle east even though it's within the continent uh and mm-hmm. then central africans and southern africans i mean we're just we're all so different, not so different, but there are distinctive differences uh, that would make it impossible to say uh, that there is one African hermeneutic. Um, And on top of that, you know, the different methodologies, there are like almost 10 different hermeneutical approaches on the continent right now. Mm -hmm. So what I represent Mm. is just one, one method or one approach that is focused on East Africa, um, and I and I, I think it's a good question that you ask me because you know that's a critique that I, I always get. You know how how can you, you know, say there is one thing as an African worldview? So you know that's kind of like the same uh, the same question because my 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 approach leads from world it, it, it's based on worldviews, but there's some mm. some similarities some similarities that make it possible for us to speak of ourselves as Africans and to understand each other when we travel, you know, something will happen and we'll just look at each other and we'll just instinctively be on the same page Uh, because, you know, there are some essential similarities, even though Mm. there are other distinctive differences where people say, oh, look at these Kenyans, why do Kenyans do this? Or Why do Nigerians do this?
1: So now uh, I think we'd be interested in the book, what you think are some uniting features that you can't, because I think in the same way people could say about America or yeah, North America, that
0: exactly.
1: there's something very similar and shared between Canadians, Mexicans and, and people from the United States. Yeah. But we would all make sharp distinctions between ourselves as well. And I should also point out, when I taught in Western Kenya, I became aware of: Is it forty-two tribes, or how many tribes are in Kenya?
0: I think there are forty-four now because um, Indians 40, okay. Indians of India are now a, ah. a recognized tribe in Kenya.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Okay, amazing. because they they come in a lot of commercial <laughs> business there, right? Um, yeah, they've,
0: the, been, um, they've been here forever since you know nineteenth century building the re- the railroad, so.
1: Right. So now they're, they're um, and Yeah. And even then, yeah, I had students trying to explain to me why these tribes were so different from each other, and I tried to follow as long as I could. I, the <laughs> only one I remember was Lu- Luo, which I think is uh, President Obama's tribe. But yeah. Um, yeah. But even then, they they were making very sharp distinctions yes. between these tribes.
0: Yes.
1: <clears throat> and and to me, I was like, okay, I would have to live here for a while to pick up on on some of these. So. Um, so what are the things that then we would say uh, that are uniting uh, a uniting feature in many um, african approaches to the biblical interpretation
0: okay I think um well, some of the uniting features well, let me try and think about that uh well if you think about um, um, our understanding of of what the bible is so our assumptions about the Bible so first of all it's it's a, it's a it's a text of power. I think um, many people mm. would understand that, you know, even your students wanted you to use the Bible as a text of power so that they could mm. take those verses and just kind of like, you know, use them, recite them back to the person, you know, putting the curse on them, whoever that that was. So I think that... Um, that's one very essential thing that we we recognize that this is a text of power. It's not just words on a book. Uh, these words have meaning. These words have a tangible effect on our lives. And so every hermeneutic, every Af- African hermeneutic that I've come across is a functional hermeneutic, which which mm. means that the text is meant to change our realities, our physical. Our spiritual, our emotional, our social, political, economic realities, and that is because the Bible is a text of power. At least that's my understanding of of, of why yeah. of why there would be that uh, that similarity. Um, I think the other thing would be the the, the power of, of of the the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. I know in many hermeneutical approaches, um, you don't you don't have to have that as an assumption. Um, You can interpret the Bible. And I do think you can read and understand the Bible without being a believer. Mm -hmm. I I believe that Mm -hmm. that's possible. But I think um, drawing out the deeper significance of the text is impossible uh, without the Holy Spirit, um, especially for application to life, for wisdom. And so the idea that the Holy Spirit, you know, oversees every aspect from the time you begin to interpret the text um, to the time you finish, um, I think another another thing that could be, that they could hold in common because of this functional approach is that some of these methods actually um, almost collapse, if I could say, the, the, the context of the text or the world behind the text and the world in front of mm-hmm. the text, so that. The, the interpretive process is is kind of um, how can I say, um, it's 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 shortened if I can put it that way, so mm-hmm. that then whatever the text is saying uh, is almost comes immediately into application. Um, some of the more um, uh, less, I guess, academic hermeneutical approaches because there is oral hermeneutics that goes on all the time on the continent. If you listen to our preachers, mm. you, you'll pick up on it. If you listen to the, the worship mm. music, you'll pick up on it. And a lot of it just goes straight from text to application. So some of these methods fail to interrogate the historical context in which the text was sent. Um and, and I think I would say many of, many of them, most of them, that that is how they would operate mine's a little bit different i i I kind of um allowed my western influence to 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 merge with with my African because no you know no point throwing out the baby with the bathwater so mm. I felt that 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 was something that was useful um I don't know what else well the fact that it's functional the fact that the Bible is a text of power and the fact that the Holy Spirit is you know completely involved in the process from beginning to end. I think those would be some of the common the common features that you would find.
1: And so, when we think about um, communities in the Americas where African religions have played a role, I know in Brazil uh, and Cuba and other places, yeah. there are still remnants of West African religion. There is there a way in which we could uh, we would say the the I'm not sure if the word "native religions" of Africa uh, is the right term here, but uh, the religious features of the African continent—how uh, are those informing us differently? Because for America, the the indigenous religions of the Americas essentially got erased uh, as America was colonized. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you're you're not facing that same situation in Africa. So, how does the native religion inform the hermeneutic?
0: actually that 's a great question, and i don 't know why I forgot about that that particularly the oral the oral hermeneutics tend to be very you know syncretistic, which is that mixing of hmm. um, traditional religions, um, not native but traditional religions and and christianity and within the academy, we find that um we learn these methods, our theological institutions, we are teaching all these methods, whether it's the narrative criticism or grammatical historical approach, or, or even the reader response approach to a certain extent, we learn them in our theological institutions. But in practice, we find that what our students end up doing is allowing this, this, this African worldview with, 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 with kind of like the um, remnants of the African traditional thinking because of course we, we can't we can't right. divorce ourselves from that that creeps into their understanding of the biblical text and then to go back to your your pastors that idea of curses um, becomes very important because even as they read the Bible um, they are seeing this idea of curses within the context of our own African worldview, of our own African traditional religions. And so Mm. it it, it tends to have a very big influence, whether in the family or the workplace. And so different ideas creep into our understanding of the biblical text, so that if they read about maybe curses, their understanding will Mm -hmm. be, well, this is how African traditional curses work. So they read that, into the text and it becomes absorbed in their understanding of the text and so pretty soon it's it's impossible to, to isolate what is the you know tra- re- traditional religious thinking or the African traditional religious thinking and what is the biblical thinking um so that kind of of, of, of syncretism then leads people to think well witchcraft is an option for me because yeah. witchcraft is part of you know my, my my identity, my my spiritual identity. So hmm. I think that might be might have happened in Cuba and Brazil. So I'm not sure, but I, I would tend to think that if it's still happening, for instance, in Nairobi, which is a modern city, where even pastors might feel the need to see a witch doctor if they feel that God is not responding to their prayer because of the idea. Mm-hmm. That you need an intermediary, so Jesus is not enough. You need a tangible intermediary that you can talk to and pay money to. And so, we see that even in in, in contexts such as ours, where we are really a, a, a I guess a 85% Christian, but yet, I, which doctors advertise their services openly? It's it's not right. it's not an issue.
1: But, but because I think a lot of American listeners, right at that last story you told, will have lost the thread, and they will be saying, "Wait, what? Uh, <laughs> pastors going to witch doctors?" Uh, I'm. Do you do you have any kind of rough equivalents uh, that you might see in the United States uh, culturally, where we lean into? It might not be something as dramatic in our minds as a witch doctor, which sounds. Yeah wild and exotic to us uh maybe less so in the african continent but um did you did you notice any things that americans did where they equally and syncretistically mixed uh maybe even their legal or their cultural mind with their christianity
0: i think um yeah it's good good thing you said that because you know syncretism is everywhere <laughs> it's just more yes. obvious when it's religious syncretism when it's you know
1: yeah i think different
0: so. religious yeah. ideas are mixed but I mean, I think that Americans allow the the culture to invade the church. I, I think it's 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 possible. I mean, there's materialism in the church, and I think mm. that that's a form of syncretism. And um, so it's. I mean, I can't think of any other examples right now, but materialism just seems to be um, the thing that that jumps to mind that that I saw um, that I saw most 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 because I I, I sometimes wondered to myself, you know how much food wastage <laughs> can there possibly be
1: oh yeah
0: yeah and you're, you're you're in amongst Christians, but it's not an issue that you know you're dumping food because you know it expired yesterday or it's expiring today, and so yeah. I think that that is a form of of syncretism that that Americans may not even recognize in themselves hmm. I'm trying to see what else um could be there. Um,
1: Well, I was thinking as you were talking about curses, there's an an East African context of cursing that they might read about cursing in scripture. And I was thinking, well, I deal with this all the time, not with curses, but, People take their American view of law, that it's about punishment, jailing people, uh, prosecution, yeah. retribution, yes. and they read that straight into yeah. the Torah. And then they think Jesus is trying to liberate us from, you know, these restrictive punitive laws of the Torah when they're actually completely different concepts of law and what law does.
0: That's an excellent example, actually. I think the, the Old Testament might might be able to to give us more examples of that yeah I, I don't know i I haven't been to the states i mean lived in the states in a long time I mean I come and go um and so I might not be as aware now of things that you know immediately struck me um hmm. when when I, maybe the idea of family I think too that could be a bit hmm. syncretistic uh, because
1: oh yeah say more about that yeah
0: because in 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 the west family is the nuclear family right whatever that might be ah. whether it's the, the blended family or whether it's you know parents of same sex whatever that might be family is the mother the father and the kids and so i i found that quite odd because for us family is the extended family i mean it's my brothers my sisters my in-laws uh, sometimes even the whole clan constitutes the family and when you get married you don't, don't mm-hmm. just get married to that one person you get it's the family. And that's mm-hmm. why arranged marriages used to be, you know, such a big thing because, and I think in in, in in some in some Asian countries, this is still the case because then you're bringing two families together. And if you can bring two powerful families together, then you have political leverage and, you know, financial leverage, just like, you know, in the Old Testament, why David had, yeah, you know, I mean, Solomon, sorry, had so many wives. But I think that that idea that family is more than just, the immediate family was actually you know, puzzling to many of my American friends because they wouldn't understand why I would be so concerned about an uncle or a cousin. or you know, And if there's a funeral, then you all give money, you all go, you all attend. I mean, a funeral is a big deal. 200, 300 people for a funeral because it's the family. The family comes together for such things. And I think that's a biblical idea of family as well. It's it's not just as individualistic as as the West has has made it.
1: So I can hear somebody thinking, uh, hearing this, thinking like, oh, well, yeah, of course, different people, different Christians in different locations are going to bring their own cultures and think about Christianity differently. I wonder if you would advise us to push even further and and say, well, would you say that It's not just that different Christians might bring different hermeneutics, different interpretive strategies to scripture, but that we actually need to hear each other and the different perspectives. Do do we need each other?
0: Oh, yes. I think you've just hit on one of the the, the topics that's so so close to my heart. I think every time I present a paper anywhere, that's all I talk about, unity in diversity. Mm. I think that if we don't listen to one another, and I'm thinking about, you know, the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John. I love John. Hmm. If we if we think that you know, oh, that's just another perspective, and we'll just let them think their way and leave them alone, but fail to really listen to one another, then we're being very short sighted, because we don't have the full picture of what the church is meant to be. You know, I always always like to say that the church is like a half-sung song. It's beautiful to listen to, Mm. but it always leaves you yearning for more. Because I hear the North Americans speak about the, the text, about, you know, church, about, you know, just within, I look at the American Christianity, then I look at Latin America, then I look at Africa, and I think to myself, and then Asia, of course, I think to myself, what would happen if we all came together with one voice, all of us reading the, the, the scriptures together and 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 understanding what Christianity is supposed to be in this diverse family, because there's just so much uniformity. E- even here in Kenya, uh, in the tribes that you talked about uh, earlier, mm. churches are set along tribal lines because there's so much negative ethnicity, mm. and so that's one of the things that fuels me. To really push the idea of unity and diversity. And of course, I know that's not a new idea. That's a phrase that's used, you know, all over. But it's, it's such an important phrase. Uh, we, we cannot be the Church of Jesus Christ if we do not accept that there are that we are coming at Christianity from our different cultural perspectives. Of course, the Bible is the ultimate standard of truth. I believe in authorial intent, I believe that it means to communicate something. So we're not just each one of us making it say what we want it to say. There is a way we can come to it and recognize the same ultimate truth, particularly when you think about the gospel. But it's so sad. I'm I'm sorry, I really get (laughs) emotional when I think about this. It's so sad that Mm. some people think we don't need each other. How can we Mm. not need each other? We are the body. It's I mean, now to go back to Paul, we are the body. And it's, it's, it's very unfortunate that some members of the body have elevated themselves above others because of this issue of power. There's always going to be those people who have power over others. That means they get the say. That means they say what Christianity is. But there, those others, the voices, the, the, the silenced voices, just imagine how, how much they could add to our understanding of, of, of what Christianity is supposed to be and how it's supposed to be practiced. So, yeah, it's important.
1: Yeah. The book we've been referring to, by the way, is African Hermeneutics by Langham Press. Uh, Dr. Elizabeth Mburu, thank you very much for your wisdom and your guidance on this topic.
0: Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture. For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.